Hello, this is Tony Campolo broadcasting from the United States of America. Uh, we call this program Across the Pond because for those who are at the studios of Premier Radio that are located in London, we are on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. We put this show together at Cabrini University, and where John, our, our engineer, faithfully serves this program, and where I and Shane Claiborne are usually on the air. Right now, Shane Claiborne, who many of you know from this show, and many of you heard, heard speak because he's one of the most popular speakers of our time, is on a cross-country tour. You can't believe what he's doing. He and a group of others in a bus are traveling. Oh, his wife is with him, I have to say, primarily his wife, uh, traveling across the country. And st- they're stopping in 29 different cities. And they're staging ra- rallies against gun violence. And what they're asking people to do is to bring their guns to the rally. And he has this huge iron condom. And they, you put the guns in there and he heats it and he melts down the guns and makes farming implements instruments out of them. You know, the Bible says we shall beat our swords into plowshares and learn war no more. Well, uh, Shane has taken that literally. And everywhere he goes, they're melting down guns and making them into farm tools. Uh, a weird way of doing it. But, of course, uh, Shane knows that this is the kind of thing that gets the newspapers to cover you. If you're going to say, we're going to go to City Hall and we're going to have a demonstration against guns and asking the government to do something about controlling guns and making sure that the people who are crazy don't, don't buy guns and there be more controls over who owns guns, uh, nobody's going to listen. But if you've got a bunch of people who look like they're crazy melting down 50, 60 guns in front of City Hall, you can bet the press is going to be there with their cameras taking shots of this for the morning newspaper, which is what he's planning to do. The guy's smart. He knows that uh, uh, words are important, but uh, when you demonstrate what you're talking about, uh, it, it catches on much more effectively. So he's on this speaking tour against gun violence. The truth is we have uh, 300 million people, 350 million people living in the United States. 350 million people live in this great country of mine. Having said that, there are more than 400 million guns in the United States. We have more guns than we have people. They're all over the place. And uh, what's more is some of our Christian leaders, uh, let me just say, people like Jerry Falwell Jr. down there in, uh, in Virginia, is calling upon Christians to go out and buy guns. Uh, every Christian will have a gun. And he says, if some Muslim terrorist comes onto the campus of Liberty University, I want our people to be armed so that they know how to deal with that person. Wild mindset, uh, you know. Uh, so uh, we're a gun-crazy country, but lo and behold, uh, what Jerry Falwell says uh, is true, that even when guns are restricted, as they are in New Zealand, that a crazy guy can get a hold of a gun someplace, somehow, somewhere. And that's what happened. Uh, a fanatic, uh, a white fanatic in New Zealand, uh, went into a mosque and shot up. Well, actually, they went into two mosques simultaneously. Some of his friends were in an adjoining mosque. They shot up these Muslim people at prayer. Can you imagine shooting up people in prayer? And 49 of them were killed. 
and a whole slew of them were put into the hospital with serious wounds. Uh, the people of New Zealand uh, couldn't believe it. Uh, this is the kind of thing they said we read about happening in the United States. We never thought it would happen here in New Zealand. We are a peaceful people. We are a nonviolent people. Yes, that's true. But fear can make people violent. May I carefully amend what I have just said, however? The guy that did the shooting, the terrorist, was actually an Australian uh, who had come down to New Zealand. But if you've been out to that part of the world, you know that the connections between New Zealand and Australia are very close. People shuffle back and forth between those two countries. But uh, the uh, thing was that the guy is saying, we got to stop these Muslims. Uh, he put something on the, uh, on the Internet, uh, a kind of manifesto, indicating why he was afraid of Muslims. Uh, and uh, his, over and over again, in the first three paragraphs, he talked about the birth rate of Muslims, that it's uh, so very, very high that it's only a matter of time before the Muslims will outnumber uh, the Christians. And uh, he worries uh, whether or not the Muslims, when they come into positions of power, will suppress Christianity. Now, I have to say, our Muslim brothers and sisters could do themselves a lot of good in allaying the fears that we, who are not Muslims, often express towards them. In places like Saudi Arabia, in places like Yemen, in, in many uh, Muslim countries like Malaysia. Uh, Christianity is suppressed in many ways. Oh, you're allowed to worship, but you're not allowed to evangelize. For instance, in Malaysia, I being a Christian, if I had a neighbor who's Muslim and tried to talk to him about becoming a Christian, tried to witness, share the gospel with him, I could be put in jail for that. I mean, that's a, that's a serious crime in Malaysia. If the Muslims in the United Kingdom and the Muslims in the United States would rise up and say, we want an end to all forms of religious oppression, and we want the, that oppression to end, not only in the United Kingdom and in the United States and now in New Zealand, we want oppression to end in Muslim countries. Christians should have the same freedoms as Muslims have that there should be freedom of religion everywhere, every place, all the time. I believe in freedom of religion. I hope you do. I hope you're willing to stand up and say so. And if you're a Muslim brother or sister out there listening to this, you should be saying to Christians, please, don't join with those hateful people who want to persecute us. On the other hand, we're going to stand against those countries that have practices that call for the suppression of Christianity or any other religion. Freedom of religion, it's a basic human right, I believe. Uh, the United Nations calls upon all nations who are part of the UN uh, to, to give religious freedom and allow it to be practiced without restraints. Well, I could give you all kinds of examples Places like Saudi Arabia, that's an extreme place where the free practice of religion is, is extreme. You, you can't do it. Uh, you could be in very serious trouble 
And what's more is, in some countries, and I won't name them all right now, if you convert from Islam to Christianity, the government will take away your property, will, uh, take away your wealth. I mean, whoa, what's going on here? So uh, Muslims may persecute Christians, but we do not return evil for evil if we're Christians. Amen? Uh, if somebody hits us on one cheek, what do we do? Jesus says, if you're a red-letter Christian, if you do what I have told you to do in those red letters of the Bible, those red letters that highlight my teachings, you will know you're to turn the other cheek. You're to return good when people treat you with evil. That's our teaching. Now, if you want to abandon that stuff, fine. Say, we're not going to be followers of Jesus anymore. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you don't return evil for evil. And uh, uh, we cannot, in fact, oppress people on religious grounds. Evangelicals have a long history of, of uh, being afraid. Uh, there is recorded in the Scripture 365 times where the words, fear not, appear. I always like giving that figure because that means there's a fear not phrase for every day of the year. 365 times the scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us, the word of God tells us, fear not, fear not, fear not. Trust in the Lord. In all your ways, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own uh, understanding. But we are a fearful people. Uh, and it's, it's against Muslims that people are afraid these days. I want to call to the attention of people that uh, fear uh, by Protestants, fearing Catholics uh, is, is part of our uh, evangelical heritage. Uh, certainly in Northern Ireland, uh, for many, many years, uh, evangelicals were afraid of Catholics, even though Catholics made a small minority of the entire population. And they say, yes, but their birth rate is much higher than the birth rate of Protestants. Uh, that's true. Uh, that's not a sufficient reason to be fearful and full of hate. Uh, so, but there was a fear of Catholics. In the United States, there certainly was a fear of Catholics. Uh, two of my uh, favorite preachers uh, of the uh, 19th century, uh, Charles Finney and uh, Beecher Lyman, uh, both of them uh, were strong uh, proponents of uh, anti-Catholic rhetoric. Uh, when we start talking that way, when we create fear, uh, we create the atmosphere where violence uh, becomes permissible. Now, let me just say, uh, if you want to build a following, one of the best ways to do it is by preaching fear. Uh, Hitler did this. He said, we've got to be afraid of the Jews. And uh, the Jews were a small minority in the uh, German society. As a matter of fact, uh, they were major contributors to the well-being of the German society. But uh, Hitler propagated the idea that these people were a threat to the well-being of Germany, uh, that they were, in fact, a, a, a threat to the survival of Western civilization and called for the elimination uh, of, the, of the Jews. Well, I'm beginning to find that kind of fascist mentality more and more operative. Uh, certainly, uh, if 
fascism is growing in places like Germany and more important like in France. And there are some evidences of it emerging in, in the United Kingdom. And now here in the United States it's happening. Just this morning when I was getting ready to come over to do this uh, radio show, I, I picked up the newspaper on the front page story was a fascist group that is getting organized in my neighborhood. Uh, I mean, they were meeting, of all places, in a bowling alley. And and why a bowling alley? Because nobody would ever think of them meeting in a bowling alley. Inconspicuously, they were meeting there and uh, spreading their doctrines of hate uh, just north of Philadelphia in the community uh, around Lansdale, uh, Montgomery County, we call it, uh, just north of Philadelphia, there was a door-to-door distribution of the of the of uh, uh, publications by the Ku Klux Klan, this uh, racist, uh, hate-oriented group. And the Ku Klux Klan is not just against uh, black people; they're against uh, Muslims, they're against Jews, uh, they're against anybody that isn't a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Uh, we have to be concerned about that. Remember what Christianity is about. In the first epistle of John, John, John 1, uh, uh, you'll read these words. Perfect love casteth out hate. Uh, ca- perfect love casteth out fear. There's no room for hate. There's no room for fear if you're trusting in Jesus. Uh, I always remember the words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. When, uh, when the fascist movement was emerging in the United States, his famous line was, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Let me repeat that. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Nothing will rally people to do horrible things like fear. And there are people in churches that are stirring up fear. Uh, I... Uh, as a kid growing up in a very, very evangelical, may I even say fundamentalist church, I remember our minister saying, we've got to be afraid of uh, people who are raising questions about Scripture. They're going to take over the country. They're going to impose their liberal ideology on the rest of us. Well, that's far from the truth. Liberal churches have been dying at a rate that staggers the imagination. You show me a liberal denomination, and I'll show you a denomination that's in decline. Uh, fundamentalists are, are the growing group. And I wonder how much of fundamentalism is built on fear. The most fearful section of the United States are the southern states, uh, states like Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, uh, Tennessee. These southern states are where fear is generated at the highest level. This is where Donald Trump will be elected overwhelmingly, without a question, he'll carry like 80% of the vote in those places, primarily because they are primarily evangelical people. The, the fear is not only of Catholics, it's fear of black people. Back in, uh, uh, back 50 years ago, the Supreme Court, which uh, really interprets the law that's, the laws that the Congress passes in our country, uh, declared that uh, Schools had to be racially integrated. Always before, uh, there was a tendency for the uh, uh, for people in these southern states to say, 
we're going to create separate but equal schools. Separate but equal. That was their cry. Separate but equal. We're going to keep the races apart. We don't want black children going to school with white children because you know what happens when black boys get in contact with white girls. Oh, my goodness. That kind of hysteria, that kind of racist talk, that kind of racist talk with ugly sexual overtones has no place among Christians. But when the laws were interpreted in such a way that to maintain separate but equal schools, that's what the southern states said they were, separate but equal schools, when the laws were interpreted that way, Southern Baptist churches, and they weren't the only ones, other churches did it as well, set up private Christian academies where only uh, white children would be able to go. Thank God for this, that over the last 20 years or so, most of these Christian academies have opened themselves up to African-American children. And so I I know of very few uh, schools in the South uh, where they have these, quote-unquote, Christian academies, which were created 50 years ago to ensure that white kids didn't have to go to school with black kids. These schools are now integrated. So there's progress out there, people, and we should rejoice in that. And the Southern Baptist Convention, it took them a long time to do it. But about 20 years ago, they finally said, we're sorry that we supported slavery. It took them a long time to come to that conclusion. But they at least came to that conclusion that, in fact, the uh, teachings of Scripture concerning race were somehow overcome uh, on their official statements. I'm not suggesting that all Southern Baptists now are above racists above racism. I'm just saying that they're striving to overcome racism among Southern Baptists today. Uh, But uh, this is the reality. Uh, Let me just say that racism is not confined to the South. When you get up here in the North, it uh, becomes uh, very, very notable. Uh, There's a lot of crime in a place like Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, a lot of crime. Uh, You can't turn on the evening news without seeing um, um, news of a murder. And in a huge number of the cases, uh, the people who have committed the murders or committed the robberies or committed the crimes are African-American, and the media tends to accentuate that. Now, let me just say I'm a sociologist, and what I know and what sociologists know is that poverty breeds violence. Violence and the crime is nurtured through poverty. And what has happened in the United States is that the economic opportunities that white people have enjoyed have not been readily available to black people. Hence, if you look at the population statistically, you will see that the income level of African-American people is about 20% lower than it is for white people. When people are poor, Poverty creates a culture in which crime becomes almost normative. This isn't just here in the United States. It's wherever there's poverty. You show me a poor community, whether it's in the slums of a Latin American country, whether it's in the slums of a country in Europe, you show me a poor community, I'll show you a community in which there are high levels of crime. So let's not attribute to race what is in fact attributed to economic conditions. Uh, Yes, 
Uh, one could come up with statistics that would show that African-American people on a per capita basis commit more crimes than uh, Caucasian people. But that's because on a per capita basis, there are many, many, many more poor people in the black community. I'm Italian. You can figure that out uh, with my name, Tony Campolo. I mean, hey, of course I'm Italian. Having said that, may I point out that if you go back to the 1920s, what they are saying about black people, they were saying about Italians. They were, there was a, a very important study made by the U.S. Congress pointing out that Italians were more prone to commit murders, more prone to commit robberies, more prone to become criminal than any other sector of the population. That's right, because when we got to this country, there were very few economic options available to us. And consequently, uh, we resorted to crime. I don't know how many of you uh, saw the movies uh, The Godfather, but the opening show of The Godfather shows an Italian man who's an immigrant trying to make a living in this country and finding it impossible for him to do so. And he loses his job. And he resorts to crime because he sees no other way to keep his family from starving. Uh, but as things improve for Italians, and they have improved among Italians, our, our income is the same as it is for any other ethnic group in the United States. Crime has reduced itself, and we are less likely to uh, commit crimes than we were 25 years ago, 50 years ago. As our economic situation has improved, so our crime level dropped. Please, don't associate crime with an ethnic group. Associate crime to an economic group. Poverty breeds crime. Poverty cre creates a lot of problems. It tends to enhance the birth rate. Uh, when, in fact, they say, as they have in New Zealand, that, uh, that uh, the Muslim people have a birth rate that's higher than the Caucasian population, the answer is because they're poorer. They don't have as much money. They don't have the same economic opportunities. I can show you, according to Malthusian economic theory, that if those people improve their economic standing, their income level, that their birth rate will drop. We call it differential fertility. The wealthier people become, the fewer children they have. You show me poor people, I'll show you large families. You show me rich people, I'll show you small families. I don't care whether they're white whether they're yellow, whether they're red, whether I don't care what they are. Wealth determines the level of productivity of children. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. I do want to give a strong plug again for Red Letter Christians. Have you gone to our website, redletterchristians.org? Every week we have new articles on there. They're important articles uh, reflecting on the issues of the day, expressing ish issues and concerns that should be a focus of Christians, things that they should be paying attention to. Good articles, well-written. We uh, survey those articles with great clear clarity and, and make sure that uh, what is put on the website is uh, uh, non-prejudicial. Uh, we uh, make sure that it's sound theological. Uh, we try to avoid biases. We are biased. We're biased towards the red letters of the Bible. People say, where did you get that name? In the United States, the red letters of the Bible are 
the words that highlight the words of Jesus. You know, some people with their Bibles underline certain verses. Well, if you like the words of Jesus, you don't have to underline them in the United States because you can get a Bible where the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. You don't have to underline them. There they are for you. We're Red Letter Christians. We have a website. We love to do this show because it gives us an opportunity to promote Red Letter Christianity. We have rallies. We have movements. Now, there in the United Kingdom, the Red Letter Christian movement is beginning to pick up momentum. Shane Claiborne and I will be over there in June. Go to the website of my website, Shane Claiborne's website, the Red Letter Christian website, and you can check out when we'll be there in the United Kingdom. You can check out uh, the Red Letter Christians uh, UK. There it is, Red Letter Christians UK, and uh, pick out when we'll be over there in the United Kingdom. We're going to be in uh, eight different cities, so uh, no matter where you live in the United Kingdom, you ought to be able to get out to one of our rallies, and we want to encourage you to do so. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, except to say this. Do you read your Bible? Not only the red letters, but the black letters. We don't want to suggest that the black letters are unimportant. We want to say you won't fully understand the black letters until you first come into a personal relationship with the Jesus who is expressed in the red letters. Listen in next week. Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne 